right, guys, welcome back to episode 25 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I am your host, Kimberly Bomani, here today with Sharp Money CEO Adam. He's a guest, uh, IG page, really affiliated with sports betting and NFL fantasy. He also talks about MLB fantasy as well. So if you're a baseball fan, check him out as well. But today, brought him on to talk about football. It's the first time we've talked about football in this podcast since the draft. We are upon preseason, and I want to bring... Um, my guy Adam here to talk about it and so before we go in depth with the topics we're going to speak on today I want to really let Adam promote his content and um, speak about what his page does in terms of um, bringing in viewers and insiders on betting and NFL fantasy so Adam take it away thanks Ben what's up yeah thanks for having me so Adam we are sharp money consulting but you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sharp money co as you mentioned Um, so we try and basically so we cover fantasy baseball and fantasy football, but also do a lot of betting, as you mentioned, bet on MLB, college football, NFL, and will college basketball. But what we try and do is try and put nothing behind a paywall and like actually try and like help and educate people. And then if we bring people on as clients, like we'll like actually go through like customized tailored fantasy advice, um, or we'll sit with you, like, like look for your team, your league settings, yada, yada. And then nothing up front, but then we'll just charge like 10% uh, consulting fee at the end if you win money. Um, but all of our betting and stuff, like is we just put our picks out there, try and like teach people sharp ways to think about betting, not to be the uh, Joe Public guy, certain data sources to use uh, and, and so forth. But yeah, we got football season coming up. So we're ramping up our uh, fantasy football stuff and, and getting ready to do some NFL and college football betting. When it comes to the betting and fantasy world, what are the what are the main things you take into account in terms of portraying to your viewers what to look for in terms of making the right betted or probably orchestrating the right lineup for a certain week or a certain game? Yeah, so basically everything that we do is very much data driven. Um, so when it comes to like betting, we use models and systems and there's pretty much zero times where I'm going to look at like a NFL slate and be like, oh, this game looks good. It's always plugging in data into a model, spitting out either lines or win probabilities, comparing against the market lines and then finding value there. Same with football. We try and use different projection systems to set our lineups. Um, and then, you know, trying to find value in the waiver wire, doing the same thing. And really the biggest thing that I would say is just the, big, the most important thing is staying disciplined and consistent and taking your emotions out of it. People in fantasy, like have their guys, they're set on, they like, won't let them go same with like betting they're like big chiefs fans so they just bet on the chiefs every week but if you can really pull your emotions out of it that's kind of the best way to go about it yes try to hear first from adam try to be as unbiased as possible when you sub your fantasy lineups and make bets as well and now we're going to delve deep into football topics within the nfl the first big one um, that we're going to talk about today is the denver broncos quarterback situation um, for starters, we all remember in the draft where they were picking the top 10 and Justin Fields was there and they decided not to take him and instead took Patrick Sertan, a talented cornerback from Alabama. But since they didn't do that, they're probably waiting on the Aaron Rodgers situation to fall in their favor. It did not. And so now Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke are battling it out. So this year, we only have two preseason games. And for the Broncos, they have two opportunities to see on a live football setting who is the guy. What do you think Denver should be looking towards in terms of figuring out that complexity? And how could that affect the guys looking at Broncos players on the offensive side in fantasy? Yeah. So, I mean, the word out of camp right now, I think, is that it's kind of a dead battle, dead heat. Um, they're not really making a call yet, which I get. 
Um, but something that I like to do when you kind of got to read between the lines of the beat reporters is just follow the money. And like teams will tell you what they want to do with their capital, whether it be draft capital or payroll. Um, so they brought Teddy Bridgewater in on a one-year $4 million deal. That tells me that they plan to use him in some capacity. My guess is since Teddy is uh, a bit more like boring, like he's kind of like a Philip Rivers of late where it was like, he's going to have like a pretty high floor, but basically no ceiling. Um, I mean, Drew Locke, they've seen what they have with him. Frankly, he kind of sucks. So my, my guess is that when you look back on the year, the year's done, Teddy Bridgewater will have the majority of the snaps and games played, but they might start off with Drew Locke, put him on a super tight leash and then wait for him to kind of mess up or wait for things to not go well. And then switch things over to Teddy Bridgewater, who, I mean, he's solid. Like he's the kind of guy who you know that you're going to, that you know what you're getting with him, but it's not going to be a high ceiling, but it's not going to be a, a low floor either. Yeah, um, I agree. And so I also read about the word on training camp. And like you said, it has been a dead heat. And for the most part, that dead heat has consisted of both players kind of placating to their strengths, but also having their weaknesses to put them in a position where they could possibly not get the job. And so with Teddy, we all know he's a guy that isn't going to take the vertical shots downfield consistently. He's more so of a check down Charlie. And he's been doing that in camp, completing passes at a high rate. When it's been about the deep vertical passes down the field, Drew Locke has actually been completing them the most, but you also have instances where he's a little bit of a gunslinger, slinging it in traffic, things of that nature. And so when you hear coming out, Cortland Sutton is getting right back into shape and Jerry Judy, Jerry Judy's feeling like this could be the year he kind of supplants himself as the ideal receiver in his class. How do you think those guys will be affected in terms of which quarterback probably play case to their strengths the best? I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think I whether it's one or the other will really matter that much. I mean, for us, like in our fantasy ranks, um, for quarterback, Teddy and Drew Locke are like our 35 and 36 ranked quarterback, which I mean, one that's back to back, two that's pretty low. So I think either way, like those guys are good. Um, Cortland Sutton, I think, would be the preferred guy with Jerry Judy being like right behind him in terms of fantasy, but I really don't think that it doesn't matter which one of the two it is their value doesn't change in my mind um like i'm looking at my ranks right now i have Cortland sutton as the 65th ranked guy jerry judy is the 70th ranked guy overall so i mean those are guys that you want to be targeting for your team and they're not going to have super high i mean mary uh maybe jerry judy has a bit of a higher upside um but to circle back on your question i i don't think it really matters which one to be honest that their value will sit will be the same yeah and speaking on that we all know what teddy is at this point of his career um when he was with the saints he performed pretty well with that offense kind of orchestrated around him when drew Brees was out but when he had to kind of be the guy for carolina with christian mccaffrey without an injury he struggled threw the ball way more times than the Panthers probably predicted him of doing. And he put himself in danger of having a lot more interceptions, 16 touchdowns, 15 picks, I think is what he finished around. And so that's that there. Drew Locke, actually his rookie season showed promise. Then his second year with a full gameplay under him was hot and cold, actually got hurt early year, came back and underperformed. Is there a chance possibly for Denver's sake, Locke could potentially take that Josh Allen step up or, like you said, is this kind of what he is at this point at the professional level? Yeah, I think the, the Josh Allen step up is the outlier. That doesn't really tend to happen. I mean, it's, 
I feel like at this point, in the, for the most part with quarterbacks, you kind of know what you have. Um, I mean, I, I think there there is more upside with him than Teddy Bridgewater. Um, but if I had to put a, a guess on it, I would bet that Drew Locke starts the year, throws a bunch of interceptions, doesn't look that good. Teddy Bridgewater takes it over. I, I, I don't think there's going to be super, super positive uh, upswing this year for Locke. Yeah, that was really going to be my next question. Uh, what do you think the quarterback situation will be coming into the year? You stated Locke comes in, does what he kind of has done throughout his career. Bridgewater pricks up the rear, and that's going to be that there with Denver. So it'll be interesting to see what the Broncos do in that situation. This was a team that finished 26th in passing yards, 25th in passing touchdowns, and they actually led the league in interceptions thrown with 23. Now, next topic, Aaron Rodgers. He's back for Green Bay. Um, it was kind of dicey at some points during the summer, but he's back. And he seems like he's pretty much controlling Green Bay how he wants it to be at this point. Randall Cobb's on the team now. Um, he's been throwing crazy dimes and uh, baskets in training camp. And so he's, he's back in the flow and the rhythm. How important was it for Green Bay to have him back in the fold so that offense can fulfill their success story? And moving forward, which guy on that receiving court can kind of have a breakout season? Last year, is Tanyan, the tight end, came out of nowhere, Cobb's back in the fold. Could you see a guy like an Amari Rodgers kind of emerge with that consistency at the helm to where he becomes a sleeper pick in fantasy? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, first question is massive for them to get Rodgers. I mean, without, I mean, he could be, I mean, he won the MVP, but he could be the single most valuable player because with him, they're looking at the number one seed in the NFC without him. I'm not sure they win four games. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah, that that's massive. I think it's pretty much back to business as usual. He's going to, he's going to find a, a reason to be mad. He'll, he'll do the, you know, the big FU tour to the GMs in the, in the front office and show that he's worth it and he should have been included in these conversations. So he'll go off this year. I mean, they're, they're going to be a, a really good team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there was some worry there, but obviously with him back, that brings like Devonta Adams and Aaron Jones back up to like fantasy elite status. Um, Rogers himself is going to be a, a top quarterback. You mentioned Tunyon. I'm not too high on him. I feel like he had kind of a lot of touchdown luck last year. Um, the thing with tight ends a lot of times is you'll see guys go like three catches for 30 yards, which is like 6.6 fantasy points. But then if they score a touchdown, that is an extra. So it doubles their score effectively. He scored a lot of touchdowns. I mean, there's definitely a lot of miles to feed. He's got his boy Randall Cobb back there. Um, you mentioned Amari Rogers. I, I would, in terms of the package wide receivers, I'd probably rank him. Uh, maybe like fifth, honestly, like, yeah, that, that could be like a shiny name, but obviously Adams is going to eat up so many targets. Jones catches balls out of the backfield. Tunning will get some, they got Lazard, they got Marquez, all this scantling, but there's just a lot of miles to feed. Um, but it will be interesting to note, like of the kind of wide receiver two through four group, like who he finds is his favorite and Rogers starts to like look at more um, because he's going to, I mean, Adams is going to get his, but whoever kind of emerges as that number two will be interesting. I, I would probably bet on it being like Alan Lazard, honestly, but, or maybe Cobb. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Rogers is all about familiarity. And once he kind of falls in love with you early in the season, he's a guy that you, he's going to kind of lean on you throughout. And that is very important in the fantasy realm. I'll say this about the Packers in particular, getting Rogers back is important. Obviously with him there, 
they can come out the NFC. When he's not there, I still think they potentially could have a chance to come out of the division because the roster is so talented. But, you know, they're not competing for a Super Bowl without Rodgers. We all understand that. But with him back in the fold, it does create a level of comfortability and relatability that I do think will go a long way during fantasy drafts. You know that he's here, which means Devontae Adams is going to have a, another monster year. Now, the 2-4 through four spot that you brought up receiver-wise is important and intriguing. Last year, Lazard seemed like he was going to turn the corner after he had that huge game against the Saints. Then he got hurt and never really came back for a month. And then when he came back later, he was never really the same. Vado Scatlin is hot and cold. Tanyan, like you said, had touchdown luck. Um, when it comes to all of those guys, Lazard, Scantling, Tanyan, and Rodgers, who do you feel like would probably emerge as that second option for Green Bay at the receiver spot that somebody could lean on in fantasy? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really about the upside um, because none of those guys are going to have the big enough floor and the targets that you'd want to really like be a, a week in, week out starter. Um, Tanya and I, I, I really don't think he's going to see that many targets. It, if I had to pick one, like I said, it, it, it would be Lazard. I do, something tells me that when Randall Cobb's on the field, though, he's going to be Rodgers' number two guy. He, he talked about him. He loves him. But, I mean, but Cobb is older. He's, he probably has some, a couple missed games in him this year due to injury. Um, so I would, at least in the first parts of the year, I, I would put my money on Randall Cobb. And then after that, if let's say Cobb goes on with injury, I would say the number two becomes Alan Lazard after Devontae Adams in terms of targets. Yeah, I didn't include Cobb within that kind of wide receiver question. That's important. He does have chemistry and relatability with Aaron. And I do feel like in a system like that, he could emerge. He also was rather productive with Houston last year under Deshaun Watson, which was kind of shocking because we all kind of looked at Cobb at that point of his career, especially with the contract that he got on the over the hill, injury prone. Yeah. And if he did go there, he wouldn't do anything. But he was rather underrated in that setting. Now, from yeah, I think football Cobb- setting- Sorry, I was going to say, I just think I think I was reading that Cobb is probably going to line up in the slot and be like their number one slot guy. So with Adams out wide and Cobb in the slot, I think that could help his target share as well, being that like slot uh, view there. Yeah, that's a great point. And now that you said, I do remember working with PFF, that old article talking about that in a post saying how the connection with Rodgers and Cobb has been immense especially in the slot. That's where he did a lot of his damage when he was with Green Bay the first time around. Mm-hmm. Now, when we focus on the football aspect for the Packers, um, Rodgers is back. You know, they have some offensive line questions. Obviously, the center position is kind of something in flux. The running game is probably going to be there consistently with Jones and Dylan. So what is going to be the biggest stepping stone for this team this year, regular season-wise, before they get to the playoffs? Is it going to be making sure – uh, everybody's flowing on one accord. Obviously, you got to keep Rodgers healthy upright. But is it also ever so important for this team to establish the run at a high clip? It's something that they utilize productively under the Matt LaFleur, you know, tenure. But in the postseason, it was something that they didn't have at a consistent rate. It kind of backfired when it wasn't flowing at a high level against Tampa. Yeah, I mean, it's also mentioned something that you didn't even say there is their defense. I think their defense was was below average last year. Um, so they they need to really play at – they don't need to be an elite defense to go far with Aaron Rodgers, but if they can maintain, like, 
in that like average of let's say like ranks 12 to 18th in terms of defense i think that would be a, a good sweet spot for them to kind of hold on to and then yeah like you said if they can establish the run that's how they really open it up because obviously with aaron Rodgers, you know he can sling it and defenses go into the game knowing they have to be very strong against the pass but if they get those breakout runs from aaron jones or start banging it up the middle with aj Dillon. That will really help them switch it up and then keep defenses on their toes. Maybe the linebackers and safeties start creeping up. And then all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers hits his long, fading away, slinging it down the middle, 70 yards on on, on the dime throws. Um, so yeah, I would say I would say definitely defense, maintaining an average kind of defense, and then the offensive line and 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 run. I mean, they'll they'll be good in the pass game, but if they can kind of switch it up like that, I I think that's how they uh, maintain their top of the NFC status? Yes, their defense is very important. I mean, it's the running joke. Every time we talk about Green Bay and their playoff failures, a lot of that is attributed to their defense. Although I feel like against Tampa, they did have three turnovers in the second half. They did enough to win. And, you know, Green Bay came up short with some offensive miscues and inability to execute in the red zone. But I did have an interesting piece speaking on Preston Smith, he talked about how last year was a tough year for him, wasn't really able to kind of have that sack total that he had when he was with Green Bay at first. And we all have seen Zendarius Smith has been a common denominator for them as a pass rusher. How important is it for Green Bay to have that other book in on the other side, whether it's another guy, a tandem of two guys, to help supply extra pass rush? Because we know what Smith brings on the opposite edge and what Kenny Clark can potentially bring when he's on the field and healthy up the middle. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the name of the game in the NFL these days is getting to the quarterback. I mean, it seems so easy to stay on paper, but if you can get pressure with four, that's kind of how you like set up a pretty good defense in the NFL these days. Um, I mean, just thinking out loud here, their division, they they might have kind of an easier division in terms of getting to the quarterback. I mean, Detroit, I think they're going to be pretty bad. Chicago as a rookie quarterback, probably, or maybe Andy Dalton or Bulls or whatever. We'll see. Minnesota is always kind of like, eh. But, yeah, so if, if they can get pressure with four, I think that's how their defense can really excel this year. Up next, the Baltimore Ravens. They are a team that went through a major little remake at the receiver spot. We all know that in fantasy, Lamar Jackson is a legend because of what he can provide with his legs, what he can provide with his arm. Kind of had a down year this year. A lot of people had a down year last year, I might add, because of COVID, and he actually missed some games because of it. But we know what he can provide as a dual threat. But come playoff time, it's important to execute in the passing game. And his receiving core has been labeled as very underwhelming, which kind of facilitates with him having underwhelming passing performances. So we see what they have right now with Sammy Watkins, Rashad Bateman's a guy they took in the first round. They took Tylen Wallace. Out of all the guys that they've kind of gotten receiver-wise, which individual do you feel like can emerge as the top dog and can help Lamar take that next step as a passer? So short answer is I think it's Rashad Bateman. Um, but this offense, I think, is going to be run heavy. You know, they got Dobbins, they got Edwards, they got Lamar who's going to run. They're going to be that kind of ground and pound, run heavy first team. And then I think, I know you talked about wide receiver, but I do think Mark Andrews will lead the team in targets. But then when you go out to the wide receiver, yeah, Marquise Brown has been kind of a disappointment. He almost has that kind of like post-type sleeper feel to him where like everyone was kind of high on him as a rookie coming out of Oklahoma. He's kind of disappointed a little bit the past couple of years. And now people kind of forget about him. But 
That said, he's got a little like hamstring kind of lingering going on right now. And those injuries linger hamstrings, especially, I mean, I pulled my hamstring in ninth grade and I still tweak it every now and then, but so that's something to keep an eye on. And with that said, I mean, on paper, Marquise Brown should be the target leader in terms of the wide receiver group. But I would, if I had to project it, I would guess he misses a couple of games due to injury um, just because he's kind of banged up now. And if that happens, I think it's Rashad Bateman. It's time to shine. I mean, I don't know if you're a big college football fan, but he was a beast at Minnesota. He averaged over like, I think it was like 16 yards per catch in the big 10, which is a bunch of tough defenses. He's, I mean, he's a dog. He, he's good. So um, he's, I, I think if it's not Marquise Brown, it's definitely Rashad Bateman. I, I think Sammy Watkins is kind of washed, honestly. I wouldn't really pick him to be anywhere close to the top of the team in targets. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for Rashad Bateman. Yeah, that's honestly the easiest answer possible. Bateman, he's that guy. And he's the guy that stood out the most, I feel like, in the Big Ten, mainly because of the team he played on with Minnesota, not normally known as a football powerhouse in this century. And when they had that, you know, crazy year where they almost went to the Rose Bowl and won the Big Ten, he was looking like Mike Evans out there, a vertical threat, huge catch radiates immensely. Now, with Hollywood Brown, it's weird. Um, We acknowledge that his first two years in the league have been underwhelming. But last year was actually his career season in terms of catches, yards, and touchdowns. But he only had one time where he went over the century mark as a receiver. That was week one. Never did that again. And so they've acknowledged that they need somebody on the that's their ex receiver that has the body type, the consistency to catch balls, slant in breaking routes over the top, and be able to kind of put up with that bruising mentality. But inevitably, it does come down to Lamar. Do you feel comfortable that Lamar Jackson has taken? substantial leaps as a passer to where everybody on the field is maximized and it doesn't come across as yet again a one-sided kind of receiving situation where Mark Andrews is making all the catches in the middle of the field yeah I mean that was definitely the big the big uh hot button topic with Lamar coming in and he kind of proved a lot of people wrong that said you know he's not a Patrick Mahomes he's not a Tom Brady he's not a true pocket passer where he's going to sit back and pick apart defenses um, but I think he's good enough. I mean, you have to respect his legs and his scrambling ability, the QB draws, those design runs. Um, it really just comes down to accuracy, which he's, he's shown some improvements, but he's not a lead by any means in, in accuracy. Um, but there's no reason why they can't come out of the AFC and go to a Super Bowl with, with Lamar because he's good enough. He's gotten good enough in the passing where he's not going to be a negative. He's, he can be a slight positive. Um, so yeah, it really just comes down to, to execution with those like middle to long range throws. Like, you know, he can hit Mark Andrews in the flat. He can hit, you know, those short passes, but the middle to long ranges is, is where he's got to really step up. Yeah. Um, it is the long range ones, the boundary throws, the boundary throws, the boundary throws. They're important for all quarterbacks. It's really important for Lamar because his limitations in that area of being a passer kind of shrink the field. And we saw that when they played Buffalo in the playoffs, they literally played man coverage, kind of quarterback contained, had a spy as well. And they're basically like, look, we're going to funnel you in the pocket and you got to make some throws to the boundaries. And they were makeable throws. He just really wasn't able to execute them. And so they do add Bateman. He's going to be that vertical threat over the top. That's huge. It allows Hollywood, in my opinion, to play inside as a slot because his body type, his archetype, that's going to help him, I think, stay healthier moving mm-hmm. forward. Although, ironically enough, he's hurt right now. And you want to see another guy kind of at that third spot emerge. Now, 
Sammy Watkins has been raised by John Harbaugh as being the leader, the professional, a guy with immense talent. We know Sammy Watkins has talent, but it's all about staying healthy for him. How important is it if there is a healthy Sammy Watkins for Baltimore in terms of making their receiving court even better, not just as a catcher, but immensely as a decoy because of what he brings to the table as a route runner? Yeah, I mean, you got to be able to put out there a third guy who at least poses a threat for the, the defense has to at least keep an eye on him. I mean, Sammy Watkins is famous for his, like, one game a year where he'll go off and have, like, two touchdowns and 100 yards. If he can do one of those games, I mean, it's not it's going to suck for, like, fantasy purposes, but in terms of, like, the real life on-the-field football, if you can just have that third guy out there who's at least deemed some respect, I think that's going to be big. I mean, they also have, like, Devin DuVernay. So, like, if Sammy goes down, like, maybe he steps up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough if it's just a two-man show out there, one being a rookie and one being Hollywood Brown. Um, so, at least they might run, you know, a lot of two tight end sets maybe or kind of, like, more of those running style sets. But at least having a guy in there who can change the pace and at least make defenses, make safeties, keep a little bit of an eye on them. It, it'll, it'll be big for um, opening up the field and giving Lamar a little more uh, throwing room. The Ravens love J.K. Dobbins a lot to the yeah. point where they let Mark Ingram go um, and they've kind of shrinked their backfield to the point where it's J.K.'s time to shine. What did you see during his rookie year that make you feel comfortable and possibly in fantasy locking him up as your RB1 or 2 within a consistent lineup moving forward this season? Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it goes back to college, too. He was, I mean, just the pure explosiveness. It's it's there. Like, you can tell, and like, he's got it. Um, yeah, I mean, if I can get him as my RB2, I, I think that would be amazing. Um, yeah, Ingram getting a little bit old um, seemed to be, you know, the right move. He wanted to get a little bit of money. You, the thing nowadays is you don't want to pay the uh, the older aging running backs too much. But, yeah, I mean, I, I have Dobbins ranked as my 17th running back, which is middle prime RB2 territory. Um, they're going to use him a lot. So the volume is going to be there for sure. I mean, Gus Edwards will still get rushes. Lamar will have a few rushes, but it's going to be Dobbins' backfield. And I think the explosiveness and the volume is really what it comes down to for where his upside lies in. Last but not least, Mark Andrews. When we talk about Baltimore's passing game, he's been the passing game on the two seasons that Lamar's played from start to finish. Uh, his numbers last year were a little bit eh. – downward yeah. but not immensely downward just a little bit disappointing um as defenses start to continuously key on him as the middle field pass catcher basically making Lamar have to make the throws that he struggled to make how disappointing will it be at times to start him in your fantasy lineup and then when it's all said and done and it's a Monday or Tuesday you're looking back and you're like dang Mark Andrews didn't give me that double digit point production and that came to bite me in the butt in a season in a weekly matchup yeah I mean, so one, if Bateman and Brown step up as receivers and spread the field, that'll obviously help, as we talked about. But in terms of when you're constructing your team for fantasy, there's really, there's the big three, a tight end. Like tight end is a, a super thin position. There's Kelsey, Kittle, Waller. Then there's, you know, people are high on Kyle Pitts for good reason. There's TJ Hawkinson and there's Mark Andrews. And then if you look beyond Mark Andrews, there really isn't like you, you can look at Dallas Goddard, maybe Noah Fan, Tyler Higby, but like there isn't many people beyond the top, like five or six. Who you're like, all right, this guy is definitely better than Mark Andrews. So 
I think, yeah, he had a down year last year, a little disappointing. I think he might have missed a game or two for COVID maybe as well. Um, but he's a guy that I think is actually becoming a pretty good value because he's been shown that he is Lamar's go-to guy in terms of targets. Um, so I have him as my number six guy. I would take him in like the sixth round. Let let your league mates take, you know, Travis Kelsey in the first, Kittle Waller, like let them reach for them. And then if you can get Mark Andrews in the sixth, seventh round, like that's, I think it's, it's going to be a pretty good value. Yeah. He might have some down, some, some down weeks, but every tight end will, except for those top three. But um, I, I see him as becoming a pretty good value this year. A very good value indeed. Now I'm going to stray away a little bit for those three off topics, delve into some more topics within the NFL world. Um, we're going to touch base, continue to stay on that fantasy spectrum. Um, when you look at the Colts, big news for the Colts, Carson Wentz, he's going to be out for probably at least a month. And so with him not there anymore, there's huge question marks at the quarterback position, but there's a chance Jonathan Taylor can emerge as being a go-to guy to utilize in that first month of the season. Now they have a tough kind of situation when it comes to um, scheduling wise in terms of how Taylor might function as a proper runner for the moving forward. Um, As that quarterback position is kind of in limbo, how important is it for Taylor to be a focal point for that team? and how much of a gym he can be in that first month of fantasy that can help you kind of get a good start in the standings. Yeah, so I actually don't think Wentz going down is a huge negative for Taylor. What I do think could be, though, is Quentin Nelson. They're all pro guard. Um, He had the same injury. Based on early sentiment, it sounds like Wentz might – it was, you know, like a super wide range for both of them, five to 12 weeks. It sounds like Wentz might be a little bit of the higher end of that, like closer to 10 weeks, whereas Nelson seems, they seem a little more, more optimistic. Um, so that's what I would keep an eye on because if it's, I mean, Jacob Eason is a big downgrade from Carson Wentz, but they were always going to be super heavy on the run. Like this team is always going to run through Jonathan Taylor. If Nelson misses one game, I think that's fine. If he misses more than one game, maybe you think twice about drafting him in the first round, early second. But I think people are generally overreacting right now to the Carson Wentz thing. Yeah, it's, you know, defenses might pack the box a little more, but they, this team was always going to run 60% of the time, and they were always going to run through Taylor as a bell cow. Um, so if, if Quentin Nelson is there for week one or week two, I'm, I'm all over him. I think people are kind of overreacting. And the thing that you like to see with rookie running backs is he got better as the year went on. He got used more as the year went on. So that's a promising thing both for his usage and his his production um so i would i would still be perfectly fine with jonathan taylor as my running back one this year um and then i mean hopefully i mean even if he has a down a down week one down week two i think the rest of the year will be pretty elite production from him yeah a lot of people don't realize taylor when that season was over he was top five in the league in rushing so a lot of that had to do with his closing time towards the end he was on cruise control in a good way in terms of really eating up the mismatches that he had and executing with them executing against them i might add with century mark level performances now staying in a division at that position there's a problem in jacksonville kind of a good one but maybe a bad one fantasy wise james robinson and travis Etienne. now urban myers come on said Etienne is going to be their alvin kamara type of guy in terms of he's going to be another receiver in the slot and robinson is going to kind of be their consistent runner on early downs but as the season goes on somebody's going to emerge and if etn performs well how should fantasy players look at that situation in jacksonville who should you go for first who should you value the most undervalue 
and who could come back and kind of be the gem of it all when we're looking back at this late in December? Yeah, so I was actually pretty pissed when they took um, ETN in the first round because in my main home league, it's a keeper league where you get to keep one person, and I traded for James Robinson because he was going to be a last-round keeper because he was undrafted last year. And, of course, they take ETN in the first round, which sucked. But as I said earlier with the Broncos, teams, they say things in press conferences, but money talks, and they use the first-round pick draft capital on Travis Etienne, which tells me that they're going to use him. Um, I, I mean, James Robinson might get more rushes, but especially in PPR leagues, like Etienne's going to get the catches. Him and Trevor Lawrence have the rapport. Again, he's a first-round pick. They're going to use him in the run game. I would put him as the clear number one over James Robinson. Um, in terms of fantasy, I'm looking at Etienne in the fourth round and James Robinson in like the eighth round. Robinson could be more of a value, honestly, just because he could end up being like a running back two type value if he gets early down, like just purely rushing uh, target uh, touches. That could be end up being pretty decent volume. But if you think about the Jaguars, they're probably going to suck. The game scripts are probably going to lead to them being down in the game. They're probably going to be passing more late in the game. That means it's going to be more ETN. So I think I think ETN is the guy to go after earlier, and I think his upside is way higher. He could be a guy that you're drafting now in the fourth round this year, but then next year maybe he's a second-round pick because he just explodes on, on the scene so hard. Yeah, in a situation like that, it's unfortunate. I mean, best-case scenario, if you have a guy like Robinson, you hope he gets Zach Moss-type touches, which means situationally in the red zone, goal-to-goal situations, he's getting those touches which means there's a higher chance he can get touchdowns. But, yeah, when he took ETN, kind of was shocked. Uh, I get it, connection, him and Lawrence. I also get it. Um, you see the prominence that Kamara has shown in the league, having that running back that can do both, expands what you can do offensively. I get it, but it's just I do feel like it was an excessive pick that really wasn't needed, and we'll see what happens. Now, for the NFC side, the Giants have been – hyped a lot in terms of what they've been able to provide on their roster offensively. Saquon's going to be back. They got Kenny Galladay. Um, Evan Ingram is still there. He's kind of underwhelming, but the, the, the presence is that Jones is going to take the next step because he has a deeper core of weapons and they can all help him excel as a player. So let's focus on Jones, the quarterback. With all that being said, is he a guy you could take in a fantasy to the point where you can maybe lean on him more times than not, as a QB2 option that can maybe carry you for a bye week or if somebody goes down, could carry you for a month until a guy comes back. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just regular fantasy leagues, I'm not looking at him. I have him as my 22nd quarterback. But if you play in like a two-quarterback league where you need two guys or if you guys on a bye week, I think there is actual upside in Daniel Jones. I mean, Unfortunately, kind of what I said with Drew Locke earlier, once a guy's a couple of years, a few years into his uh, career, you kind of know what he's going to be. And Daniel Jones has shown flashes of upside, particularly with his legs, but he still turns the ball over way too much. But I mean, I think this is probably the last year where you give him a little bit of a leash in terms of upside. Like maybe he breaks out. They have a couple more weapons. Saquon's back. I think he might miss the first two weeks, but Saquon will be back for the, for the majority of the year. His legs, his rushing ability do give him a little bit more of a floor because that gives you a lot of points out of the quarterback position if the guy can run. Um, so 
in terms of regular leagues, I'm not looking at him. If you're in a two quarterback league, I actually like him as an upside play as your second quarterback. Um, and then situationally, if they have a good matchup when you're number one guys on a bye week, I would look at him just because the upside's there. And then we look at their receiving core, Tony, Shepard, Galladay, uh, Slayton. Galladay's a guy that's been a huge fantasy, like, revelation the past two years to connection him and staff were able to provide especially in the contested catch vertically down the field category is immense do you see Galladay continuing that pace in a different offense with a different quarterback or should fans expect before they reach for Galladay in the draft to expect a slight decline due in large part because of Jones propensity to turn the ball over and the Giants maybe trying to be a more balanced team if Barkley's able to come back and showcase his health and his productivity between the tackles. Yeah. I mean, this is more of an investing slogan from Warren Buffett, but it was uh, be greedy when others are fearful. Last year, Kenny Galladay missed, I want to say like 10 games. It felt like he was out and it was like some contract things. He didn't like the lions. He had lingering injuries. I think he burned a lot of people. And so as a result, now a lot of the fantasy community is down on him and saying, oh, like he's a stay away guy. I actually think makes him a little bit of a value. If you can get him as your second or third wide receiver, I think that's a great value play in terms of fantasy. He's probably going to, I mean, he's going to be their number one guy in terms of targets, I would guess. It would probably, my guess would probably be him, then Ingram maybe. And then the other guys like Shepard and Slayton have just been like kind of meh over the years. Like Shepard, I think they were kind of high on coming out and then he just kind of disappoints every year. Um, but yeah, I, I think Galladay, Engram is another thing where he was so highly hyped and just kind of disappointed every year. But if I'm looking at someone, it, it, it's probably going to be Kenny Galladay in the early to mid rounds at, at, at wide receiver there. From the rookie side, we saw what Justin Jefferson was able to do at the receiving position, went over a thousand yards. He was basically the Vikings best receiver on the team, which I don't think a lot of people expected. Um, concerning the fact that they'd obviously lost Diggs, but Thielen was just as good. And so when you look at that position, especially in the draft that we last had, who do you feel like can be the Jefferson of this year, not just in the rookie class dominating, getting rookie of the year, but a guy that, you know, emerges as being the go-to rookie guy to lean on in fantasy and becomes a consistent guy you can lean on throughout the weeks, deeper into the season? Yeah, I mean, it's a little obvious, but I would say Jamar Chase um, and Cincy. Um, I have him as my 50th overall guy and currently at ADP is going at 63. Um, he's got the Joe Burrow connection and I mean, yeah, their offensive line is probably going to suck that Burrow might get sacked a lot, but if you think about asymmetrical upside versus downside, Jamar Chase's upside is there. He's another guy who you're drafting this year and then next year you, you look at the draft board and it's like a Justin Jefferson where he's being drafted in like the second round. So that's what you want to look for in terms of the, the, or like the, the, the middle rounds of your leagues is guys that have much higher upside than the rest of the guys going around that area. And I think Jamar Chase will, I think he'll be the number one guy on the Bengals and his skills are insane. And the upside is there for him to really be much high, much higher rated next year at this time versus where he's going right now. Yeah, I agree. Him and him and Pitts are in the same boat. Like with Pitts, obviously, he's going to be at least the top or second target that Ryan's going to lean on. And with Chase, he's going to be top two for Burrow. I think it just ultimately comes down to 
you really hope that the starters, Burrow and Ryan, can last. Because as long as they last, those receivers will put up elite clip numbers. But if they get hurt, large in part because of the offensive lines that they're playing behind, they could see an immense drop-off. Like we saw it's a piece that PFF made where basically saying, could Bengals, the receiving core, all go over 1,000 yards, three of them. And their passing game was progressing rather expeditiously upward. And then when Burrow goes down, they kind of take a nosedive. And so when you look at a guy like Chase, fantasy-wise, you just got to hope Burrow is going to last. And things I've read from camp, that old line is getting destroyed. So you really hope that doesn't translate in the real-life gameplay. And if it doesn't, I think the Bengals should be fine. And Chase should play very well. Now, looking at Buffalo, it was a team offensively everybody played out of their mind. I think we all know Stephon Diggs is a talent. I don't think we expected Stephon Diggs to be what he was last year, but he was that. And a lot of it had to do with Josh Allen's improvement from the base up as a passer. Do you see Buffalo taking a similar type of step offensively where they're playing at that level or higher? Doing large part because they kept their offensive coordinator in day ball. They still got their head coach. They still got their nucleus. And outside of Diggs, who else from a fantasy perspective do you feel can emerge as a guy that you can lean on receiver-wise? Because you saw what Beasley was able to do in the slot and Gabriel Davis was able to do as a vertical threat down the field. Yeah, I would say, realistically, Buffalo just needs to maintain. I don't think that they can make, as a team, a a step forward again. I mean, they've all played out of their minds. Um, They ended up last year, and I'm a big fan of DVOA as well um, for football. Um, analysis, they finished as the number one rated weighted DVOA team, which takes into account more the later games in the year than the beginning games, which show that they finished insanely strong. And their defense ended up being the 12th rated defense, which is pretty good. If they can maintain that, where it's like they're around that like slightly above average defense and then their offense just kind of stays pat, they should have no problem doing what they did last year again. Uh, in terms of fantasy, yeah, I mean, Diggs is the guy, obviously. Um, but after that, I, I think I would like Gabriel Davis the most. Like, Colby's is going to be the slot guy. Diggs is going to be, like, the main, like, target piece there. But in terms of deep threats with upside, I think you look at Gabriel Davis uh, and, and the later round just because he's going to be that kind of just go wide receiver, go deep and deep threat wide receiver with those deep posts and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of the guy that I'd be eyeing if, if you're not going to pay up first round value and stuff on digs is maybe some late round upside, take a little lottery shot with with uh, Gabriel Davis. Yeah, I agree. Gabriel Davis is a guy that I'm high on as well, not just in fantasy, but in real life. You got to take into account that Josh Allen, although he's made extreme improvements as being a better passer in between the lines, he's still going to take the vertical shots down the field. And you got to consider a guy like him as a vertical threat, as an option that's going to get heavy dosages of that. So, I'm going to see Allen probably take four to five vertical shots a game. And that makes a guy like Davis's stock rise even higher. And he's an individual, I think, moving forward as Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. They're both on the roster. They're kind of getting older. I think as the season goes on, he might materialize as not just a go-to vertical option, but a go-to number two option when Diggs is facing coverage of a variety, cloud coverage, double coverage, triple coverage, bracket coverage, all types of that. And so I think that's going to be huge for Buffalo moving forward. And then on another tip in that division, fantasy-wise, the Dolphins. So they got Jalen Waddle. They showed some semblance of loyalty to Tua Tagovailoa. I don't think they're completely sold on him, but the feeling is that 
They're going to get vertical threats for them because this was a team that struggled to produce anything down the field because the receivers couldn't get separation. So they got Waddle, they got Fuller. How important do you think they'll help Tua's growth as a player? And are there guys you can kind of lean on in fantasy? We know Fuller's going to be out for a couple of weeks, or I think a week or two because of the whole PED situation. But when he does come back, he has a propensity to get hurt. So how important are they going to be for his growth? And can you lean on these guys in fantasy? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was definitely frustrating last year to have any Dolphins receiver, like thing like Devontae Parker, like when Ryan Fitzpatrick played, he his production went so much higher. And Tua, it's like Tua's afraid to throw the ball more than like three yards down the field. It was so frustrating. But yeah, they go out, they get Waddle, they get Fuller. Uh, there's definitely a lot of weapons there. Gasicki is a decent tight end. Gaskin's a, a pretty kind of sexy running back there. Um, and, I mean, he's got all the weapons in the world there now. So it's really just on him to take that next step. I mean, but also, like, just coming off a pretty pretty bad hip injury. It was 2020. Off-season training camps weren't normal. Now he's been there a full year. He has a more normal training camp and off-season. So it's completely in the realm of possibility that he takes a pretty big step forward. Um, you mentioned Fuller and the injury history. Yes, but when I'm, like, looking at fantasy – you, you can't project injuries. I mean, it's football. It's a violent game. Like, injuries happen. Yes, there are some guys that might – you look back and think that they get hurt more, which could be true. But also, when you're looking forward, injuries are pretty random. They happen to anyone and everyone. So, I don't really like to think about that at all. I like to think about his upside, and his upside is very high. If Chua starts pushing the ball down the field, I mean, Fuller is a great deep threat. Um, I could see, you know, Parker's more of a bigger body guy. Waddle could be that like slot guy, uh, deep threat. It, it could be Will Fuller. I, I have him as of the Dolphins receivers. He's the, my, my highest ranked guy. Um, I, I would rank him Fuller, then Waddle, then Parker, and then Gasicki. Um, but yeah, I would keep an eye on Fuller. Um, to, to be honest, I, I think he's going a bit too late in ADP because he has to miss a couple games, but you can weather two games in fantasy and then have a, a pretty a pretty big spark for, for week three there. Yeah, I can see it. Um, you're right. You don't want to ever come in these fantasy situations overthinking injuries. They happen all the time. And Fuller, his track record, even if he does get hurt a lot, the value's there because he's going to have two or three games where he explodes, and that can go a long way for your lineup moving forward. I think the way Miami kind of orchestrated their attack, probably look back at Tua's productivity in Alabama and realize – He's at his best when he has weapons on the outside that have speed. They're able to stretch the field, get behind the defense. That kind of allows him to utilize the vertical passing game more. When he kind of came there at first, the only vertical threat they had was Jakeem Grant. Everybody else is kind of a big body possession receiver. Kasiki, Preston Williams, Devontae Parker. So you're hoping with Fuller and Waddle in the mix, it's going to open the field up even more. And allowing those possession receivers to kind of get wider passing lanes that Tua can kind of utilize in the intermediate passing game. So that should go a long way as well. For the Raiders, in particular, they popped into my mind. The Henry Ruggs situation was really weird and very disappointing because we all kind of thought he was the first receiver gone. He was going to be not Tyreek Hill, but at least a vertical threat that when we look back, he has six to eight touchdowns, maybe 700 to 800 yards, kind of a guy that you could lean on for a couple games to give you some points. Nelson Aguilar took all of his vertical touches and then Darren Wilder had a great season. So Ruggs doesn't have to worry about Aguilar anymore, but Wilder's still there as a fantasy uh, guy. Can you look at Ruggs and 
think last year was a one-off and he's going to be upward productive-wise moving forward? Or do you just have to be wary because of how the Raiders orchestrate their offense, establishing the run first and then taking bombs later? Yeah, that was that was so Raiders of them to draft rugs there in that spot high in the first round, the classic like fast wide receiver that they just fall in love with out of nowhere. Um, yeah, it was disappointing, but honestly, like I I don't expect him to have a huge a huge year this year either. I mean, Waller's their guy. Carr's you know Carr's an average quarterback. He's I'm not sure if Gruden's completely sold on him to be honest, but um in terms in terms of our receivers i mean rugs is the number one but they also have john brown brian edwards hunter renfro who are going to get targets i i'm not super high on rugs i'm looking at him in like the 12th round um and adp has him going in like the 11th round so i'm probably not going to get too much of him honestly um he's the kind of guy that people look at in the draft and they think of like as a sexy pick or they might reach for him around or two earlier like trying to like grab some upside um, but just based on the offense, I mean, they're going to run the ball, Josh Jacobs a lot. And the way that they have so many receivers there and Waller being the main guy, I probably not going to get too much rugs in fantasy. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be more common to expect Waller and maybe even Brian Edwards, who they've been hyping up in camp to have better years than rugs. This is an unfortunate situation where a guy with talent, it's probably in the worst system possible. Maybe if he was on a team like Seattle with a guy like Russell Wilson and their vertical passing game on the West Coast, he could get as many touches as possible. That's just not going to really happen with Vegas. And it sucks, but, I mean, that's just the situation that he's kind of in there. And so Justin Herbert, he was productive as well for the Chargers. Great year that he had. Um, we are kind of expecting to be even better. They got Corey Lindsay as their center, so he's got more protection. Um, do you see his level of play? getting even better, maybe even Josh Allen S, or you just hope if you take a guy like Herbert, he stays the course of what he was the year prior, and maybe he utilizes his legs to an advantage to get pick up even more points from a touchdown perspective rushing. Yeah, I mean, the legs is a big thing because nowadays it's becoming more popular in fantasy, and deservingly so, like the math is there. When you have a guy that can run, it just gives you an extra floor because those rushing yards turn into points quickly and even rushing touchdowns, he's shown that he has the ability to get out and run. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you're hoping from him. In terms of steps forward, it's going to be tough for him to really make too much of a leap. Um, I have him as my seventh quarterback in fantasy just because, I mean, obviously he's going to be behind the Mahomes, Allen, Murray, Lamar, and then I have Dak and Russell Wilson ahead of him too. I mean, there's a new coach this year. I don't think Anthony Lynn was necessarily a great coach. And so I don't think it's going to be too much of a step down from that, but something to consider, um, you know, defense has got a little bit of a look at him now. So there could be that aspect. I think the best case is that he mostly stays pat and then just takes tiny steps forward. If you can take tiny steps forward, that that'll be a, a huge win for her. I agree. Just tiny steps forward. Like you said, staying the course, implementing that rushing aspect, keep defenses honest. I think we were all kind of surprised that Herbert was that productive in the pro level. I think we all knew he had potential, but the Oregon situation that he was in four courses, four years, kind of made him seem worse than what he was. And you're in a more wide open system with better weapons and guys are kind of realizing early on, you can do this and we're going to utilize your strengths to your advantage. It worked out tremendously for him. And, you know, just moving forward, you just hope that he's able to keep that up. And in the NFC, Dallas um, is – getting some hype 
offensively, and the guy that's kind of getting that hype is C.D. Lamb. I actually drafted C.D. Lamb last year in fantasy, and he was cool, not the greatest, but the expectation is Dak Prescott's going to be healthier than what he was. He's rehabbing pretty good, and they feel like he's going to be the guy that's going to explode to the point where everybody's saying, look out for C.D. Lamb to be the sophomore receiver of fantasy dreams. Are you buying into the hype? And if so, how do you think somebody should select him in drafts coming up? And what could guys kind of prepare to look at in terms of how he utilize in the Dallas offense? So do I think he's going to be good? Yes. Do I think he's becoming overhyped? Yes. As he's been rising up draft boards, I think probably the biggest of any guy in the offseason so far, to the point where now he's being drafted a full round ahead of Amari Cooper, which I think is wrong. I think Amari Cooper should be the, the number one receiver in Dallas. He's been proven to be Dak's guy. Um, I think there's maybe a little bit of injury lingering concerns in the offseason, but so long as he's healthy, I'm taking Amari Cooper first every time. It, like these things happen where in fantasy, like the whole fantasy world just seems to get behind like one guy and just drive his price up like crazy to the point where now he's, he's a huge negative value for me in terms of my rank versus ADP. He's going to be good, but I just don't want to take him as early as I need to take him now. Um, so long as Cooper's healthy, I'm taking Amari Cooper first out, out of the Dallas receivers. Yeah, uh, I agree as well. You, you never want it to be to a point where you buy into the hype where a guy that's labeled number two on his depth chart is being selected higher than a guy that's number one. And it could be obviously a motive pushing that hype. And the motive is Dallas has to justify why they took him in the first round. Because when they took him in the first round, we were all thinking, why? Like, you're not a good defensive team. So, you know, CD, I think, could have a 1,000-yard season, but you do have to take it to account. It's not just CD and everyone else. It's Samari, number one, and Gallup as well. Like, Gallup yeah. was a guy Dak was developing a rapport with the last two years. you got to include him as well. But I think CD presents a unique aspect because he's a guy that can be productive in the slot, and then he can be very productive as an X guy because of what he provides as a catch radius over the top. So I think he'll be fine. I, I just think it's one of those situations where it was intriguing to see the hype, but I just feel like moving forward, unless Cooper, like you said, gets hurt, I don't think that's something that you could automatically book in as he's going to have a Justin Jefferson type season because I don't know, like Gallup is there. Like, like there's a reason why people look at Dallas's receiving core as being one of the top three in the, in the, in the game, because you have guys that if they're on different teams, they could be in a thousand yard receiver in their own right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Gallup's a guy too, where like if I'm most likely to draft anyone from the Dallas team, it's going to be Amari Cooper as my wide receiver too. And then Michael Gallup in the later rounds, because I think there's tremendous upside there as well. And if, even if there's three miles to feed, people sleep on Gallup. I mean, it's kind of the, it's kind of the natural uh, like trickle down effect of when one guy gets way overhyped, the other guys kind of fall down a little bit. And like you said, Gallup has a rapport with Dak where CD doesn't really have the same rapport as Cooper and Gallup have. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're going for fantasy, you got to just go for value every time. You don't want to overpay, you want to underpay. And, and I know, and, and now with Gallup and Cooper, you're in a position where you can underpay, whereas CD Lamb, you really got to pay up. Yeah, I mean, it could work out. The hype could work out for a lot of guys that are looking at it like, all right, somebody great is going to fall to me. And so I think that's something that's positive, but negative because people are going to buy into it and overpay for a guy like that. 
Speaking of overhyped, Stafford, Matthew Stafford is a guy I feel like it's been overhyped immensely throughout the offseason. I do feel, for lack of a better terms, things have kind of came back to where he needs to be. The guys are now starting to highlight that he's a little bit overamped. From a fantasy world, we know Stafford can put up 30 points one day and then put up 15 another. It's all about what he's able to bring from an efficiency standpoint as a touchdown thrower or an INT maker. In that Rams offense, and we know what McVay is as a control freak at times, do you feel Stafford is going to be way more efficient than he's been in, in his past with Detroit? Or do you feel like it'd be another Jekyll High moment there, due in large part because Cam Akers is out with injury and there's question marks in the backfield? Yeah, Akers going down definitely hurts the team overall. Stafford himself, I think, is a little dinged up. He had the uh, throwing hand hit an offensive lineman's helmet where I think he maybe – I don't know if he broke a finger, but his fingers hurt. I think, I mean, yeah, going from Detroit to the Rams is an upgrade for him. However, he is getting older. I mean, it's definitely a little bit of, a, of an uptick for him in, in the offense in terms of efficiency. Like, we've, I don't think that Jared Goff is necessarily a great quarterback, but he's looked great at times because of that offense and that scheme and Sean McVay and the weapons around them. So if Sean McVay can apply even a 10% boost to Matt Stafford, I think that's going to be big for him. Um, I mean, he's a guy who you always look back at his numbers and you're like, damn, he did that in Detroit. Um, I mean, in terms of fantasy, I have him as my 10th quarterback just after like, you know, there's the Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Aaron Rodgers, and then I have Matt Stafford um, as like a back end QB one. If you want, like where I would take him is if you just completely wait on quarterback until the, towards the end of the draft and Stafford's there as a guy that has upside. I mean, he can sling it and that Rams offense could be something that really boosts him up a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be an overall little bit of an uptick, but nothing crazy. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing you said that kind of blew my mind, but you brought it back to me injuries. Um, he has a thumb injury right now. And so that was really my biggest question mark with him going to the Rams. Obviously one aspect is he hasn't shown he can win the big one. He is turnover prone at times because he's a gunslinger. But the worst one is as he's getting older, he's starting to wear down. He's starting to get injuries. It was the ribs. Now it's the thumb. I mean, you don't know what can be next. And that can really debilitate that team moving forward because they really bought in on Stafford being their guy. And if he's not there, they're not going anywhere. I think that's the sad truth. But I want to touch base on what you just said. Jalen Hurts. Is in your top 10 fantasy quarterbacks. A lot of fantasy players like Hurts a lot. What has you hyped about him coming into a year where there has been talks that Philly is interested in Deshaun Watson? And then on the present side of what they have, Jalen Rakers kind of struggled in training camp because of things he's going through off the field. And Devontae Smith may be healthy for week one, but he's out with an injury. Do you feel like the weapons are there for Hurts to be productive or is it just a matter of what he brings to the table as a dual threat that can kind of de facto all of that and make him a high-end guy in the later rounds fantasy-wise? Yeah, so, I mean, there is the buzz, especially the last couple days of the Eagles are looking at Deshaun Watson, but there's, like, hurdles to jump. I mean, the hurdles are, like, he, he might get, like, arrested and go to jail which is obviously a big thing that teams need to worry about. So me having him in, in my top 10, I, I'm eighth. Me having him there is obviously fully reliant on the, him being the Eagles starting quarterback and not being traded to the Texans or whatever. Um, that said, he's one of the guys who 
has kind of that wide range of outcomes, like a high standard deviation of, of what might happen to him. But the thing that really boosts him up is his legs. Those rushing yards are real. And you saw what happens in college. I mean, he was a Heisman candidate. Um, he looked pretty decent at times last year, but all, you know, it, it, it's a wide range of outcomes. If he can give you like the 500 yards on the ground, that's a huge floor and a couple of rushing touchdowns, that's big. And then if he can, you know, just be pretty solid in the passing game, if he can utilize his weapons. I mean, he's got Devontae Smith, who is an upside guy. Rager, I'm not really too hopeful on, to be honest, but Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders out of the backfield. I think those three between Sanders, Goddard, and Smith, plus his legs, give him a floor plus ceiling combo that's tough to get outside the top five in quarterbacks. That's kind of why I, I would reach for him at, or not, or not reach for him, but I, I would like him as kind of my back-end quarterback one there at like eight to 10 range. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I was just like, eh. you know, what hurts, he hurts, like you said, the rushing, the rushing aspect is real. He's a guy, he can walk off the bus and give you 50 yards rushing, like real. If Philly kind of makes, takes an initiative and prioritize him as an important cog within the rushing game, it's just the passing element is something that worries me because I, while I think he's improved from what he was as a freshman in Alabama to now, there's limitations on the boundary. He does tend to airmail guys, and his offensive line isn't the greatest. Um, Andre Dillard is a guy that's going to come back eventually, but he hasn't really been able to stay healthy throughout his young career. Lane Johnson's kind of still there. I mean, there's question marks there. And you're in a division where the Giants and Washington have D-lines that can get after you, and so you really have to hope. Now it becomes a thing where does Philly put him in harm's way to prioritize a rushing game? Because you also got to take in consideration in the passing game, he could get hit even more because their own line's not great. And then the biggest factor is their receiving core is still kind of bare. Devontae Smith's talented, but he's hurt right now. And Jalen Rager, I do feel like in a two role where he's utilized as a vertical threat can be not just a vertical threat, but a guy you can utilize in speed option routes. He can kind of elevate his play, but outside of that, it's bare. And then Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are comforting, but it's just the passing element for Hurts is kind of got me at pause to where I do feel like guys are kind of taking a huge leap of faith that he can be a top 10 quarterback fantasy wise from that production element. But what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah. So like I said, I'm when I'm looking in the mid rounds, I look for upside. And so knowing damn well that Hurts is going to have a super wide range of outcomes, I think it's something that you have to take into account when I'm, uh, constructing my fantasy rosters and talking into some normal fantasy league, I would almost would never take two quarterbacks in a draft. But if you do take Jalen Hurts, it might not be a bad idea to then get a guy like Matt Ryan, who's going to be there available and like lit the last rounds. And you know that he's more of a safer option with a proven track record. And then you're not going to leave yourself a gaping hole of quarterback if Hurts does bust. Um, but in the bull case, if Hurts comes out and improves his passing a little bit, plus gives you those rush yards and ends up being a top 10 quarterback. You got a guy in the late rounds with huge upside and you got him at, a, at what ended up being a good value. But yeah, so he's one of those guys that I, I would say if, if, if you're going to take him, maybe take a safer later round guy like Matt Ryan, like a Kirk Cousins, like a Baker Mayfield that will kind of give you that one-two punch where you can maybe sit Hurts early on and let him kind of figure it out or you can start hurts and if it doesn't go well then you go back to your safer option 
Um, but that's kind of how I might play Hurts if I end up with Hurts as my QB one. Last but not least, before we wrap this podcast up, I want to touch base on Kyler Murray and his impact potentially in fantasy. So last year he played pretty well early in the year. He was an MVP candidate, but doing large part because Cliff Kingsbury is trying to incorporate an offensive system collegiate wise into the pro level where you literally leave your quarterback unprotected by having everyone go out on routes. Um, Murray got hurt. And so now he's coming back and AJ Green is there. He's declining. They still have DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to try to incorporate the rushing aspect as well. But in terms of Kyler and fantasy, is he a high-end guy that when we look back at it, when the season's over, he finished as a top 10 performer? And what will it take for him to probably maybe even be top five this season in fantasy weeks? So to take it one step further, I actually have him as my number three quarterback. Um, But that being said, I will probably never draft him just because in general by my strategy on quarterbacks is usually to wait. So even though I have him ranked third and as like a fifth round grade, he's going in the fourth round. So there's really, and in that range is where I'm kind of hammering like wide receivers and running backs. So there's really not going to be many times where I end up getting him. The time to get him obviously would have been last year where him and Josh Allen were going in like the super, like the 10th, 11th round. And now they're the number two and three guys off the board. Um, But if if he's there in, in the sixth round where I can get him at one round of value, I'd look at him. Um, but again, he's the similar kind of guy where he's one of the few guys that can give you a lot of rush yards. Plus he's in just a super explosive offense where, I mean, he's talented, but the arm too. So that floor plus ceiling combo is, is kind of rare at the quarterback position that, that I talked about. And Kyler Murray is maybe one of the biggest guys with like him and Lamar, where it's the rush yards floor plus the upside passing ceiling and touchdown ceiling. Um, but like I said, I'm probably not going to get too much of him just cause I'm I'm looking for value everywhere, and he's probably not going to be there to value for me. Kingsbury, I'm not so sure he's a great NFL coach, but you can't deny that that offense is explosive between, you know, him with Murray running, Hopkins. Rondell Moore could be a guy that really breaks out this year. Um, He showed a lot in college as a receiver. They got Kirk and Green, too. So there's definitely a lot of weapons for him there. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I have him ranked third, but I probably won't draft him if anywhere to be honest what's the biggest hope for murray fantasy wise this season because last year he had games where like you said seattle game on sunday night he was incredible and then he had that game late in the year against new england where he was pretty average um how what's the hope if you're a guy that takes murray probably not as high as you got him but potentially in the top 10 and you start him and he's your starting guy throughout the year what's the hope for the guy that possesses him to where he translates into somebody that you can consistently lean on for 20 to 25 points throughout the season. Yeah. So the, the thing with him is, is the volatility. Um, it even happens a bit with Derek Henry too, where you look at the end of the year and you look at the point total and it's like, Oh wow. He's the number three quarterback or the number three running back. And then you go back through the weeks and it's like, 35, 10, 8, 42, 25. There's a huge volatility in the weeks. And that kind of sucks because in those weeks where he puts up 30, you're going to be in a good spot. But those weeks where he puts up 10 to 12 points, it's going to suck because you're you're at a disadvantage at the quarterback position. So I think it's really just the consistency in terms of fantasy points where you want that smooth, smoothed out to like 20 points a game. If he can get that, then I think that's going to be way more valuable than the the huge ebbs and flows throughout the year. 
um, which he kind of had a little bit last year. Yeah, uh, volatility, that's correct. Um, Derrick Henry's a great point towards the end of the year. Just killing the game, finished with 2,000 yards, won a lot of people championships during the playoffs. But early in the year, hit some brick roads, and, you know, guys probably missed out and got burned on that. So, yeah, I do feel like for Murray's sake, a lot of it does have to do with uh, matchups. I mean, when he plays a Seattle, cool. But when you play, like, L.A. Rams and their D-line, it's going to be hard to kind of outbreak contain and run for, like, 20 yards and then throw for, like, 30 there because of the – just the presence that they have on that end of the football. So, um, yeah, I think that's important. I do think some smarting, some smarter play calls by Kingsbury can go a long way as well to protect your quarterback and utilize him in a way where his strengths are maximized, but you don't get him out there and get killed. So I think that's important as well. Uh, that being said, Sharp Money Co. was the guest and going to wrap this up. But before I go, let's talk about how you enjoy the podcast. And also, before you leave, your Super Bowl picks as we head into the um, regular season. Obviously, the preseason's not done yet, but guys, you got potentially coming out the NFC or the AFC, and then even put your dark horses out there as well. Okay, yeah. I mean, one, thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. I mean, you're obviously very sharp about football, which I love talking. Um, for this year, if we're looking at just my loose predictions for the year, I kind of like Baltimore out of the AFC. Um, I think that, you know, it. I did see that Jimmy Smith got hurt, so that could be something to keep an eye on. One of their top corners there. It seems like he's hurt every year. Um, I mean, it's to not to you know go off the beaten path and not pick Kansas City, Tampa Bay again, which I think is probably the favorite in terms of betting odds. Um, I, I think Baltimore could be a decent value play if Lamar takes just a little bit more of a step up in terms of passing. They they're really well coached. There's a really good kind of system and team construction in place there where they could be interesting. NFC, I mean, Green Bay and Tampa Bay are my number one and number two teams, but, you know, they were there last year. People expect that. If you want, like, a little bit more of a dark horse, um, I don't hate uh, the uh, the Rams and the Seahawks, both the NFC West teams. If Stafford can stay healthy, if Sean McVay can utilize him to the best of his abilities, and then if Russell Wilson can just be Russell Wilson and just kind of go off all year and they actually – you know, let him cook as they were trying to get trending last year. Um, that team, I mean, the defense is, we'll see, but I think that those are a couple of teams that can maybe be non-Bucks and Packers teams that could come out of the NFC. Yeah, I think the AFC, well, I'm just state state this, it was great having you on, um, talk of fantasy and whatnot. It's great to be back in the football conversation again as that season starting to pick back up. So it's always enjoyable to have that conversation with anybody. Um, when it comes to, like, the two conferences, it's pretty obvious that the AFC is the much talented and more deeper conference, in my opinion. Yep. Um, you have Kansas City, Baltimore, Cleveland. Uh, those are three big teams. They can all give you a different level of elements. You know, Buffalo, they can go vertical. Kansas City, they can go vertical, but they can hit you up, up and down. Cleveland, they can run you out the gym and then play action pass. Baltimore can run you out as well. I think AFC, I think Kansas City can't go wrong there. The biggest question mark with the Chiefs was their O-line. They looked horrible in the Super Bowl, maybe because the guys were hurt. And if people were there, they're playing out of position. And so the big question was, can they rebuild their O-line? They don't have any draft, they don't have any uh, economical capital. And they did it. Crazily, they did it. So that's no longer a deficiency anymore. So at this point, with that added, you know, Mahomes is going to play out of his mind. Um, 
only thing you got to worry about for them is defensively, can they maintain average level play? And I think as long as uh, Tyron Matthews back there, it's going to help. Now, Frank Clark getting caught with guns doesn't help either. So that's something that they got to worry about in the pass rushing realm. But I like Kansas City. I do feel like Buffalo is right there. I think the biggest thing they need to add was another pass rusher. And I think continuing to have some aspect of a running game for the postseason. They didn't have no any type of running game to in the postseason. It helped them get away. They got away from it and were able to win and beat Baltimore. They weren't able to beat Kansas City because their pass rush was was tremendous. And I think in the NFC, you know, I think Tampa Bay Super Bowl was I'm not gonna say fluky, but it was weird. I think they were able to take advantage of teams that kind of were limping into their respective matchups. Um, Washington had Heineke played fabulous, but I mean, you know, Heineke wasn't a guy that they expected to be there. Um, the Saints, Drew Brees literally said he had broken ribs and barely could throw a ball past five yards. So, I mean, he was hurt as well. And then Green Bay was the team where they were able to beat them, but even they had issues. Um, David Bakhtiari was there on the left side. And then we know Kansas City had no O-line as well. So I feel like Tampa Bay overachieved and peaked at the right time, but you got to take into consideration Brady's old. Um, and it's not just him. A lot of their guys in skill positions are in their 30s. So you're playing in a sport like that in football. Things can happen injury-wise. They do have a division in the South that's kind of weak, so they're going to come out of there. But I do feel like Green Bay would have locked in Aaron Rodgers, a more younger core. They can get there. I do think the dark horse in the AFC is probably going to be Seattle. Um, I feel like they fortify their own line enough. I think defensively they do lose Shaquem Griffin. They like DJ Reed a lot in their secondary. They're going to pay Jamal Adams top dollar. I think as long as Chris Carson stays healthy, um, that adds another rushing element that's important. And then I do think in the AFC, the Chargers are a dark horse. Justin Herbert's, I think, going to stay about the same, maybe take that next step. And I think as long as Duran James and Joey Bosa are healthy and are on the field, that's going to make that defense even better. And while they might not win the AFC West, they'll come out of the division as a playoff representative, and they can make some noise in the postseason. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little more down in the Chargers, I think. But besides that, I mean, I, I picked, you know, Seattle myself as a dark horse. Tampa Bay, I, I do think that, I mean, when I look back at their DVOA ranks, they were one of the more most well-balanced, but also elite teams in all three phases of the game of any Super Bowl champion. So last year, their offensive DVOA rank was third and their defensive DVOA rank was fifth which is tough. To, it's really rare to see that offensive and defensive eliteness there on both sides of the ball. Brady, it did seem like through like some bad picks at times, but they ended up finding like the four net down the stretch. And like, there was just things that just kept clicking. Their, their defense was pretty insane. Um, and I, I, I was riding them in the Super Bowl. I'd bet them over the Chiefs. I thought that the Chiefs became too much of a public team. I mean, they're always going to be a public team, which is why but when you have a Mahomes and that explosive offense, like people love to ride the Chiefs, which makes them a, a little, a little too highly priced. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, in the NFL, it seems like when you really look at it, there's maybe five to six teams that can win just based solely on the quarterback position. It's the most important position, and it, it sucks to pick, you know, the Packers and Chiefs. But it's like when you have two of the best quarterbacks in the game, it's like that's probably who's going to be there at the end of the year, which is boring, but it's true. So. So we'll see. We will see indeed. And with that, it's the end of episode 25 of Independent Intel. Great to have Sharp Money Cohen. 
next week. I'm going to have another guest on potentially. May keep it on the NFL angle. Who knows? It's great to be talking football again. It's great for football to be back. Can't wait for the season to start. With that, I'll see you guys next week. Peace.